everyone. Welcome to another episode of the V Auto Podcast. I'm Lance Helgeson with V Auto. For today's episode, we're going to examine what might be regarded as an underappreciated aspect of used vehicle reconditioning, and that is how much a poor reconditioning process can harm almost every other aspect of retailing used vehicles at a dealership. My guest today is Mike Boyd, founder of V-Auto iRecon. Through his work, Mike has helped dozens of dealers around the country adjust their reconditioning processes and in turn, charge up their used vehicle sales and profitability. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Lance. Happy Excellent. To be here. Well, let's get started and maybe go to the, the meat of the matter here. You and I have had some conversations about your belief that when a dealer has a less than stellar reconditioning process. It, it hurts their business in ways they may not really think about or, or understand or recognize. So tell me what's behind that belief? What, what, what drives that? So traditionally dealers have thought of um, reconditioning as a necessary evil, something they have to do to sell cars. And what they don't always realize is that is that the reconditioning process, which is their own money, that's just managing their own money, getting that raw product ready for sale, greatly affects everything they do from purchasing a car all the way through to the merchandising and marketing. And we really haven't given the attention or oversight that reconditioning truly deserves. And there's a number of reasons. I mean, one, it's never been the sexy part of selling cars, right? Buying cars is sexy, selling cars yep. is sexy too. And reconditioning is a very time consuming. A lot of times there's people getting dirty. There's a lot of wrenches being turned because uh, you're taking that raw product and repackaging, right? And then of course you have to get it through service. So there's a lot of barriers to entry that typically dealers um, have just relegated to somebody else. They just hand off the keys and walk away without realizing what that effect is. And go, please go ahead. Uh, well, I guess I wanted to ask about that effect. You mentioned just a minute ago, Mike, that one of the areas where reconditioning or a less than ideal reconditioning process can hurt a dealer is when it comes to buying cars and, and acquiring inventory. So walk me through and, and the listeners too. How does that, how does that, how does one affect the other? Yeah. So when you look at purchasing a car, so whether you're purchasing or appraising a car at the dealership is the same. You know, a vehicle has a value and yep. it really shouldn't be a difference between what you pay at the auction versus what you pay at the store. But we all know that's not necessarily true, right? Um, but when an appraiser goes to look at a vehicle, the first thing they should do if they're doing it correctly is look at the vehicle the way it stands. And then based off of their knowledge, and again, this is off what they should, their intimate knowledge of what it costs in time and money to get that car ready for sale at their dealership, they're going to back that into the vehicle. And then they're going to look yep. at, hey, um, what is what does the market say that I can command on a retail side? So with the understanding of, hey, this is the condition the vehicle is in. This is what it's going to cost me to get this car ready for sale and into the hands of the consumer in time and money. And then what can I retail it for? Well, the difference, that's your profit. So if an appraiser um, is just weaning it, either at the auction or at the store, uh, hmm. Both is horrible, right? And they're just using average reconditioning costs, or maybe they truly believe that that bumper repair is going to cost them a thousand dollars when only 
really it's a $500 repair. So they're depreciating the car more than they should, which means that they are not willing or able to put as much money in that vehicle as they could. So they're not going to be as successful at the auction. They're not going to take as many trade-ins at the dealership. But I got a question. Never really see that. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, to what degree are you? I know that dealers have made a big pivot to acquiring cars straight away from consumers. Mm -hmm. You know, so take the auction out and let's. It's not a trade. It's just they want to sell their car. How? And I, I've understood that some of those cars might be a little rougher just because they they're a little older, possibly mm -hmm. um, higher mileage. So are we seeing a connection there between you know? what I guess you could call inaccurate reconditioning estimates and lower look to book ratios on, on some of those cars? Yeah, absolutely. And now I always looked at the vehicles, especially when you start to get them from a consumer, right? These are cars that are generally driven every day. Um, they're not maintained cosmetically, maybe, you know, like another dealership would, or maybe, you know, at the auction, they're cleaned up before you go to buy it. These are, you're actually seeing them in the raw which personally I loved because there's nothing really being hidden. Mm -hmm. But that mm -hmm. dirty gold, as I would think of it, is a great opportunity if you're really wired into your reconditioning process to be able to say, you know what, I know that it will clean up and I know that, yeah, that scratch is going to be painted or that scratch touch up is fine. So that's really the art of the appraisal and really being a great car person is understanding the market and your store and not only what your brand standards are for the dealership, but also for the manufacturer, right? Um, mm -hmm. And being able to say, hey, I know that if I spend $100 doing this, it's fine. It's more than acceptable based on the year and the miles and everything else for us to retail versus, hey, I know I'm going to have to paint that. Either one's fine. What I would never accept from anybody who writes a check is, let's be fair. If you're appraising vehicles or purchasing, you're writing checks. You're saying, I will take that vehicle for this amount, take that check to the bank. Um, mm -hmm. I think there needs to be accountability. I want to be able to ask my appraisers, you know, what was your thought process when you looked at that car? Did you look at that vehicle through the lens of it's going to become a certified pre-owned or is it just going to be a used car inspection or are you going to sell it as is? They all have different costs and times associated with it. Yeah. And that would uh, really open up the doors to really understanding, again, the cost to do business at your own store. Gotcha. Now let, let's let's turn the corner here. So let's say that uh, I have the car. Uh, I don't have the greatest reconditioning process. What effect might that have on my ability to merchandise that car and get it on the market in a in a timely way? Yeah. Well, a couple of things we see at the dealership, and this is just reality. These are things a lot of people don't really talk about, but I guarantee every dealer listening will say, "Yeah, that's true." So mm -hmm. two things we see, if you have a underperforming uh, reconditioning process, I do see, and I'm adamantly against it, dealerships hiding their cars. And what I mean by that is they actually take the vehicle in trade or purchase, and they will not publish that vehicle or merchandise it until it is 100% through the reconditioning process. Um, a couple of things that's going to do is one is money doesn't sleep for anyone. So hiding the car is not slowing the market down you may lose and you will lose quite a few opportunities and you're covering up the greater opportunity, which is putting pressure on your own internal processes to get that car merchandised. Now, the other flip side of that is if you look at um, 
dealerships that are immediately putting their cars to syndicate, right? They're merchandising their vehicles with a price, some you know level of information, and chasing the vehicle. Um, at least that's putting pressure on the reconditioning process. But the other thing is generally stores are not fully taking photos and fully merchandising the vehicle, even though they're fully asking as much as they could until that car's all, yeah. all the way through the reconditioning process. So if you think about that, you're asking all the money, because you should. I mean, you're putting money into the car, time and effort. That's why we're in the business. But you're doing all your research to price the car correctly, but then you're delivering a substandard merchandising attack on the market. So you have less photos. Maybe you have one or two photos versus a full shoe. And that's where it really comes back to bite you. Then you start to get to the point where you're starting to chase the market so what is the best practice there? Is it is it to, I mean, I it's almost like a tale of two extremes. One is you'll wait until everything's square. The other is maybe you'll go out the gate without perhaps the finest presentation of that vehicle. So what do you find is the right balance between those two poles? So between the two, um, I really don't think it's a balance. I think it's more of a, what I truly believe is the right thing to do, which is, let's be real about the opportunity hiding the car i'm still paying for that car you know i would hear dealerships and they still do to this day say well you know i don't want a customer coming in on that car too fast mm -hmm. now i want you to think about that sentence <laughs> i don't want that customer coming in too i've never fast. heard it before <laughs> right too fast on that car uh, which again is covering up the greater opportunity so I would always push my cars out as fast as possible, you know, make sure that I'm putting pressure not only on our merchandising side, but also it exposes the opportunity to reconditioning. So whether it's your own service department, detail, touch up, whatever the case may be, um, there's a lot of pieces of information you're going to learn and you're going to get from the different solutions. And let's be real, most of them are using our solutions. So whether it's working with Auto Trader to see how long does it take you to get your cars fully photoed and online, mm -hmm. there's also a lot of at play from the merchandising side um, of understanding how you pull up and search queries. You know, do you have all the relevant information? Do you have all those pieces that are going to push you up to the top? But let's not hide. Let's not make us sound like we're better than we are. Let's just hit it in the face and say, okay, great. Here's the opportunity. How are we as a team going to work together to get past that to elevate our game? Now, that brings us to a point of what might be considered friction and, and friction mm -hmm. right now in the marketplace where, from what I understand, customer pay work is hot. You know, there's mm -hmm. more customers with cars that they haven't uh, maintained perhaps as much as they could. Maybe they didn't drive them as much either you know, in the last last two years. But at, but at the same time, the cars have larger repairs so that there's a larger amount of customer pay work competing against those cars that need reconditioning. So what's the guidance for dealers to, and I, I hate to use the word balance because maybe it's not a balance, but it seems like right. these, these two competing needs have to be both met. So you use the term friction. Um, let's, let's talk about that. So rubbing is racing. Now I'm not big into racing, but I've definitely heard that term. And if you're doing it correctly in business, there's always going to be some friction. That means you're going to be pushing people outside their comfort zones. 
Uh, the worst thing I would want to do is walk into a uh, business and everybody's just happy-go-lucky and everybody's getting along perfect. That means we're not truly capitalizing on the opportunity. We're not pushing the envelope. Now, customer pay, you mentioned a couple of things. Yes, there is a great amount of customer pay. ROs are up. Um, I do believe and we know that a lot of that is due to a couple of things. One is that consumers have not been driving as much as they historically did because of the pandemic. But now that's roaring back. People are yeah. you know, traveling more. They're opening up. They're, they're doing more. So they want to be on the road. The other thing is you have a lot of people who rather than trade in or trade up, they're deciding to go ahead and put that money into the reconditioning of their mm -hmm. car. Maybe replace those tires that it was a lease return where they wouldn't normally have to. They would just transfer into the new vehicle because they're waiting for the market to normalize a little bit on the pricing because mm -hmm. prices have been high. You know, they're going to stay that way for a while. So that does um, put extra pressure on the service department for customer pay. But customer pay was already great before, right? It's just really now we have extra uh, work that normally would come in a cycle. Now it's just hitting, right? It's hitting. And every dealership needs additional technicians. So okay. then you mentioned like, okay, how do we balance that internal pay, that internal customer? Which, remember, that's the dealership's money. That's the owner's money that you're dealing with. And traditionally, we're going to put more emphasis on the customer pay because the customer not only is your greatest opportunity for selling down the road, because those who service them, they come back and shop you down the road. So that's extremely important. Um, it is a balance. You know, I think the biggest opportunity is adding clarity into where the opportunity is and saying, okay, let's be real. There's no more technicians coming anytime soon. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. So the only opportunity we have is to get more efficiency out of the people we have or maybe increase our hours, or there's quite a few dealerships. Um, a really common thing I see is that they do they do not do used car servicing on Saturdays or the weekend. Ah. And um, a really good group, of course I work all across the United States, but a really good group that is really honed in on their fixed ops, they've actually opened up a second shift for used cars and it's Saturday and Sunday. They started off with optional, with a little bit of an incentive, for mm -hmm. the technicians to come in. So it was not only beneficial for the technician, but it was greatly beneficial to the used car department. Did they, did they, they so I, let me follow up on that optional point. So do we, did in that particular case, and maybe you're not in the details of it as much, but I am curious, would that give a technician the ability, you know, if they're working Monday to Friday, for example, to suddenly say, hey, you know, a Wednesday to Sunday schedule is kind of what I'm thinking works for me. Did, did, was that part of the mix too? Really, it's any and all of it. Okay. So rather than just, and this really comes back to hiding the information, rather than just saying, you know, it is what it is, and I don't have any more technicians, and I'm just going to get you whenever I get you. Now they're looking at their books every day and saying, hey, we have X amount of customers off the street. We are consumer pay. We have X amount of used cars. Um, they're really looking at their availability during their normalized shop hours. So not only are they opening up additional on the weekend, but they're going back to the same technicians and now they're looking at their schedules and saying, hey, you know, are you, if you're doing X amount of hours on a Tuesday, is it better to switch your schedule? And are you open to doing that? 
And they're seeing that, like most people, if you give them options, you'd be surprised what they want to do because it's on them. You know, they're making extra money. Um, it's definitely beneficial for the dealership because you're getting more efficiency out of them because they're opting in to want to do it because there's something in it for them, mm-hmm. which is the holy grail in reconditioning. Regardless of what you do in the reconditioning process, it's what's in it for them. How do you get them to have some skin in the game and and understand the greater opportunity to get those cars ready for sale? So we, we've talked about a couple of things where an inefficient reconditioning process can affect how you're buying cars, whether you're putting the right money in cars, how it can um, detract from optimal merchandising and speed to market. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about the, the, the friction between customer pay and internal work. Um, I guess stepping back from all that for a second, what would be the most common signs that a dealer really truly has some of these problems due to reconditioning? So when you look at their inventory and you're looking at some of the uh, data, so one of the first things I look at is, okay, how long does it take them to get their cars full, you know, full photo shoot and online? That is a huge indicator right there. We're seeing that all across the United States where, you know, a dealership say, yeah, you know, I'm getting my cars reconditioned in eight days, but then it's taking 15 days to get their cars um, 15 plus pictures online okay so there's a lot of ways to look at it i I absolutely encourage and when i talk to dealers say hey it's every single thing you do from the detail to the touch-up to the window stickers to the photo shoot you can't just say your reconditioning process is service that's not true true. yeah there's a lot of things you do if it was just service then you're just a service shop um you need to actually look at and say okay you know if touch-up, we know, is a value-added repair, which that brings up a good point of if you're reconditioning correctly, it's not a spin. It is not a spin. If you utter the words, my reconditioning is a spin, then you're doing it wrong. If you're reconditioning correctly, you're making an investment, and that investment should pay back dividends. So understanding that your reconditioning process is the entire full circle, you know, those on average we see five tasks, but yeah, so a couple of things. One is, of course, the photos. That's a real quick indicator. Yep. Um, your look to book. You know, looking at those age old metrics of which are extremely valuable of saying, hey, on average, we're normally 45% of the time we're winning. You know, we have 45% look to book. Well, especially in today's market where the car is the star, there's less cars than there are consumers wanting them, then really, what's that metric? What should it be? You know, I would really be dissecting and looking at every single appraisal, every single opportunity of the auction and saying, well, how much did we not get it by? And then, of course, the cars you do successfully take in, you should look at those. We don't traditionally do that at the dealership. You know, when we take a car in trade or purchase, it's, hey, we own it. It is what it is. Well, no, um, that appraiser, let's say if Lance appraised it, going back to what we first started with, and he said, hey, I expected to spend $1,440 to get that car CPO'd or UCI'd. What did it hit the market at? What was that final spend? And how close and how correct was it? And that will put more cars under lock. That will put new, more new and used car deals together, I guarantee. And more customers in F&I. 
Right, but it'll also help to provide some additional context and understanding around that look to book number. Because if, if I'm the guy whose estimates you know, far exceed actual costs, chances are my look to book is gonna be lower than somebody who's tighter to the, to the line. Right. And then look at the actual appraisals. You know, are there great notes? Are there great photos? Is, we pick on Lance for a second here, is Lance really um, writing a check correctly? Is he filling out all the boxes on the check? Mm -hmm. Think of it that way. So earlier you made a, a point, which I hadn't really considered before. Um, and that is, is that, you know, dealers are using software to purchase cars. They're using software to retail cars. When it comes to reconditioning, well, maybe there's software or maybe there isn't, you know, and it's a matter of finding the keys and, and that very manual sort of thing, and maybe a spreadsheet too. So I guess I'm curious if, if a dealer says, okay, um, I'll, I'll look into a technology partner. What are the characteristics or must-haves that you think dealers should be looking for in any reconditioning partner? So when a dealership is looking for any software, um, but especially in the reconditioning software, ease of use, you know, does it integrate into their normal daily workflow? Does it have high visibility? And do they have a trusted partner that's going to work with them, not just at the implementation and training, but mm -hmm. on an ongoing, ongoing basis? Because starting off in a reconditioning process, um, it's more about getting people to push buttons and getting people to realize that there's a better way to do it. But first thing I concentrate is, hey, how do you currently recondition cars? Just by looking um, inside of iRecon and being able to see, hey, this is how we do our job, you learn a lot. People start to self-analyze and they start to say, oh, well, that doesn't really make sense. What if I did this? But they start mm -hmm. to communicate with each other. And that's the aha moment when they start to see, oh, well, wait a minute, this isn't, uh, just about what's what do I do wrong? It's about giving me opportunities to see where I can do better or opportunities to grow. Because the first thing you said, and it still amazes me, and that's okay. That's why we're here. That's why we're having the podcast and we're out there educating dealers because there are partners, is that there is a better way. We're not asking you to recondition cars. You already do that. We're just clearly saying that the way you recondition cars does not make sense. You locate cars and buy cars using software. You merchandise and sell them using software. You desk the deal using software. And you sign them up using software. But the minute you get that car, which is your money, let's be real. It, it's the dealer's money. The minute you take possession of it, you did everything correct to get that car. You then just take the keys and flip it to somebody in the back and hope they're doing right by you. Who are you helping? You're definitely not helping yourself. Yeah. So it's a full circle. I, I totally understand. A final question, since we've been sort of honing in on, you know, the symptoms of, of maybe what a less than efficient reconditioning process could be. And, and you also made a good point that reconditioning is not just about the service department because there's other elements. Touch up is the, the one that you mentioned there. So I guess uh, as maybe a closing question and perhaps an aspirational moment for everyone listening, what are the best-in-class benchmarks when it comes to reconditioning that you would like to see to understand, hey, 
this dealer totally is best in class. You know, I get asked, well, for years now, I've been asked, hey, will you get me down to three days? Will you get me down to four days? Will you get me down to five days? Whatever the case may be. I'm, I look at it a little bit differently. So understanding my background and that I ran stores and reconditioning is something we have to do. I believe each store is unique and different. Whereas I'm more interested in how do you do what you do now? Let's see what the data is showing as the opportunities, because a really big piece of iRecon is, of course, it's use and it's part of your normally normal workflow because we are the auto. So when you're working with your performance manager and you're working with your team and you're looking at the data and the data is clearly pointing out you have the greatest opportunity for touch up or that, you know what, you're doing great getting them through service, but then it immediately hits, you know, X and it breaks down. Right. I think it's more about getting with the team, um, elevating their game where they start to understand really what's in it for them and what's in it for the store, why we're all connected, right? How service directly affects what we can afford to pay cars and without cars coming in we can't service them so really building that connectivity among all the departments and then looking at the data and saying okay well right now we're at x days if we just move the needle two days what would that take and now you're actually creating a process because everybody has a voice the data is ambivalent right it is black and white you're either doing good or you're doing bad but then it comes down to what are we willing to do? How comfortable being uncomfortable are we willing to be? And that's where your performance manager works with your team and goes over and says, hey, here's what we're seeing. Um, absolutely, here's what we're seeing at similar stores in size, you know, and with inventory count. And here's what we believe you can do to make a big difference. But what are you seeing internally? How are you looking at this? And really, what is your team's goal? What are you guys going to rally the troops behind and understand that that's a good job? So it's a little bit of a different answer because I definitely hear people in my space who are saying, hey, you know, X amount of days, X amount of days. Well, let's be real. There's a lot of things you have to do to sell a car correctly. And the hardest thing about implementing a reconditioning process and getting the team to grab hands and do it is that change management. So. Mm -hmm. Let's go with the right attitude. Let's really make sure everybody understands what's in it for them and what's in it for the store and why we all have to work together. And then let's look at that uh, Kaizen, right? Incremental improvement to keep getting better, keep getting better and giving people a voice on what's blocking them or what ideas they have to make it better. I think that's the key. And I, I like the, the incrementality point you made there, Mike, because you're not if if you're at 15 days now getting to five is going to be a whole lot harder than getting to 13. You well, know, think about that change management um in my experience and of course working with stores if if you're at 15 let's own it let's not beat anybody let's just own it it doesn't matter that's where we're at okay if we're at 15 i would say dropping two days is a great goal because we know for every two and a half days we can help you get your car sold faster. You add a whole nother turn to your inventory. That's huge, right? Yeah. But two days is realistic. It's something you can rally the people behind. It's something that we can measure. We can definitely achieve. And now you're elevating everybody's game and you're building on wins. You're not just saying, hey, we're at 15. We want to get to five. Well, great. Five may be the end point, but really 
it is incremental because no different than uh, looking at your inventory. When you look at reconditioning, that data is all up for interpretation. So if you get down to five or when you get down to five, my next thing I would tell you is go buy more cars. Because the lower you compress it, um, don't be satisfied. You know, it is telling you that you're getting your process in line, that you've got the right pieces. Well, now it's time for growth if you're in a growth mindset. But if you're content at five for the moment, well, then it's okay. Well, if we're at five, now let's look at um, how we're doing at five. You know, is there an opportunity here to maybe trim back just a little bit? Or are we really making sure that the appraisers have all the information? You know, can we concentrate now on merchandising? It's just an indicator of opportunity. Right. And that's what I'd rather have a dealership concentrate on. Very good. Well, Mike, it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank thank, thanks for joining us today. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Excellent. And folks, thank you all for joining today's V-Auto podcast. Until next time, stay well. Stay well.